Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Arielle Ford. Arielle is a highly acclaimed relationship expert and the international best-selling author of The Soulmate Secret, as well as seven other books. She's one of the leaders behind the rapid growth of the self-help and human potential movement in the US and former president and founder of The Ford Group, a successful public relations and marketing firm that has helped launch the careers of Deepak Chopra, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, the creators of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and Neil Donald Walsh, author of Conversations of God. And she's also worked with the likes of Wayne Dyer, Debbie Ford, Gary Zukov, Marion Williamson, Louise Hay. It's crazy. It's literally like the who's who of anyone in that world. Like this lady has, de- like, has worked with them, and uh, 11 of whom became number one New York Times bestselling uh, authors. So thank you so, so much for being here. It's a huge honor. Thank you. It's great to meet you. Now, as um, we 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 chucked, you know, put this in the schedule um, a couple of months ago, but it's uh, the fact that I'm now talking to one of the world's top relationship experts is quite relevant. I actually got dumped a few weeks ago, so this this interview could not come at a better time. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. I was reading some of this stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is it was just like a chance. Yeah, you know, the timings all worked out, but yeah, good good timing. <laughs> yeah. Now, love pain oh, I know. Uh, we, we've all been through it you're not alone <laughs> now I was checking out some of your um, recent blog posts and one of the ones which is, um, which is quite interesting is you were talking about being able to trust our intuition is not always as uh, it's not always really easy because how can we often know the difference between uh, what's truly our intuition as opposed to just wishful thinking what's that about how, how can we make that distinction well, you know, it's it's not easy to do, but um, there's a little yes-no game you can play. So you could say, you would start by asking, you know, saying to yourself, okay, my name is Duncan, right? And then see how that feels. Does that feel really solid and, you know, sure thing? And then you might say, well, my name is Martin. And that might feel kind of empty or it feels <laughs> different, right? So you want to be able to feel in your body the difference between a solid yes and a solid no, that's not right. And then you would ask yourself a specific question. So it may be, uh, you know, was being dumped by Sally in my highest and best good and see how that feels. Or, you know, so, you know, so you ask yourself questions. And if you see that you're getting one answer, but you want to manipulate it to get another answer, <laughs> then, you know, that's wishful thinking. You're just trying to get some evidence that, you know, well, well, maybe she really is my soulmate and she just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you try and you reword know. it. You try and okay, that that felt wrong. Let's yeah, word it's kind it. Of, it's kind of like when you're going to flip a coin. You know, heads I go, tails I stay. Yeah. Okay, let's do best of three out of five. <laughs> then you know you're fooling around with it. But it it's really a learned thing. Like over time, you know, if you if you have a strong hit about something and you trust it and it leads you in the right direction, that should be evidence for you that there is this inner voice trying to guide you Mm. and I've learned that when I don't trust my intuition it's never a good thing you know because my radar is really spot on the thing that gets me tripped up is that my radar can also be good for you and so if you ask me advice and then you don't take it then I get mad at you because I'm thinking why is he being so stupid you know it's like I know that I know that I know this (laughs) (laughs) it can be crazy making and like, there's obviously nobody out there, you know, who would like, you know, knowingly, you know, 
you, everyone basically would obviously avoid pain. But in, I think you said, in six decades on this planet, you've discovered that your greatest and most extraordinary, I think you described them as wins in life, have all come as a result of yeah. off the back of your most painful and difficult experiences. Can you maybe just give some examples of some of these? Uh, absolutely. So um, I started my my PR firm, the Ford Group, in 1988. You know, you may not have even been born by then. And, um, you know, it was very successful. But at that time, I was handling things like art galleries on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills and very famous boutique hotels and all corporate stuff. And then in 1990, we went through a recession and I lost 80% of my business in six weeks. It was just a miserable time in my life. I, I had 4,000 square feet of office space on Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills and all these employees. And it all went sideways and disappeared. And I didn't know what to do about it. And at the same time, my boyfriend dumped me and I got really sick. So I had like this triple hitter of, you know, misery. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And it lasted about a year. I mean, I almost went bankrupt. It was such a horrible, miserable time. But what came out of it was I discovered that even though I had been very successful with this PR firm, I was miserable. I didn't like my clients. And, uh, you know, they were all corporate types. It was all about money. And I was all about the money. And I realized the money wasn't making me happy. So I decided at that point, if I were going to use my talents back in the PR world, then I only wanted to represent people, places, and things that were doing good for the planet. But of course, I had no idea what that looked like. And within six months, I had manifested all these amazing people as clients who at that time were not household names. You know, my very first clients were Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Marianne Williamson. And all of a sudden, within a year, I had this niche and I kept the business open another 14 years where I only worked with people who were contributing to the planet. And of course, my health got better and I found new relationships and all of that. But it was out of this complete, utter misery and desperation that my entire life got birthed. And I realized that it would have never happened had I continued to be successful in my old venture that wasn't serving me. Um, so that's just one small example where, you know, extreme pain and suffering led to the greatest breakthroughs and my greatest happiness. So when you're at the depth of despair and you don't believe anything good's ever going to happen again, that's really the time to remember that who you really are and what you're meant to do is just being reborn. The house has burnt down and now it's time to rebuild and it won't go as fast as you want. It won't look like anything you think you want. But as long as you stay open and grateful for what is working, magic will happen. I love that. It's beautiful. And uh, I know that I, I read somewhere that you were, actually I heard it in an interview, that you were saying how one of your, your passions and your purposes is sort of that connecting and connecting people and making like this, these amazing connections happen. Like, yeah. What does that do for you when you, when you make like, an amazing connection, you put two fantastic people together? It's just so much fun. It's like solving a riddle or a puzzle, you know, and it happens all the time. I'm sort of some, I think it was Marianne who once said to me, you know, you're like a lightning rod for everything that's new thought because I just pick up these people all over the world where I make these connections with them. And then at some point, someone will call and say, hey, I'm really looking for X, Y, Z. Do you know anybody? And then 
you know, your face will pop up and go, <laughs> yes, Duncan's in London. He's the exact person you need to talk to. And then I'll make a little connection. And then they send me these emails. How did you know? Like, I'll give you one example. I was reading my Facebook feed um, a little more than a year ago. And this woman who I'm friends with on Facebook, but I've never met, said she was ready for a massive change in her life. She actually wanted to move to another country and find a way to be of service to humanity. The same day, another friend of mine who runs the largest ashram in Rishikesh, India, put up a post that she was looking for uh, an American who would uh, be her assistant in India. She needed somebody who understood social media and could communicate with lots of different people around the world. This is a very powerful woman who regularly does business with the Dalai Lama and other world leaders. And I just had this hit. It's like, oh my God, this one needs to meet that one. So I connected them via Facebook. It turned out my Indian friend was going to Washington, D.C. the next week where this woman lived. They met for lunch. And within six weeks, uh, my Facebook friend Lori was living on the ashram and today is still there helping my friend run her ashram. That's crazy, mad. So and, it's gotta... so, and it's so much fun. I just get goosebumps just thinking about, like, how does that happen? But the truth is, you know, there's, there's what Greg Braden calls the divine matrix. We are already connected to everything and everybody on this invisible incredible universal network and if you tune in you can make those connections it's amazing i'm going to completely um mispronounce this and so forgive me you, okay. might, have, you might have to uh, correct me but what is atelophobia at, i don't know at atelophobia you it's about the fear of imperfection or something oh 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 that was a word i found out yeah <laughs> did you find it as well we're both new to it <laughs> No, I, I, I remember writing about that. I have like the world's worst memory at this point in my life. But yeah, there's perfectionism is a real problem. Um, I think actually the word perfectionism needs to be changed to pure fiction. It doesn't exist. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're never, ever <laughs> going to be perfect. And yet we live our lives striving for something that's impossible. Mm. You know, we want our careers to be perfect and our friends and our family and our homes, you know, our kids, everybody's striving for this crazy thing. And then they end up, you know, disappointed and frustrated. And and it's just this, you know, can can I say four-letter words on this show. You, I mean, can, you can say whatever words you want. Yeah, it's a total mind fuck. okay? It doesn't <laughs> exist. So what I practice is something I call wabi-sabi love. And wabi-sabi is an ancient Japanese aesthetic that seeks to find beauty and perfection and imperfection. So, for example, let's say, let's say this was a Ming vase and it had a crooked crack down the middle of it. The Japanese would put it on a pedestal and then they would shine a spotlight on the crack or they might even paint the crack with 24 karat gold. So in Wabi Sabi Love, we're looking to find fun and beauty in our own imperfections, our own cracks, and especially of those around us. So I'll give you just one really brief example of this. Um, I was teaching this in a workshop one day, and this woman, Stephanie, stands up, and she said, I have a Wabi Sabi issue even you can't solve. And I was like, Okay, what is it? She said, well, I'm married to a man named Garth. We've been married for 16 years, and I love him, but I might have to leave him. And I said, why? 
She said, he's just a total slob. She said, I'm a perfectionist. I like my house neat and clean and orderly and everything has its place. And he's just chaotic and messy and I don't know if I can take it anymore. She said, fortunately, he works out of state two weeks of every month. So the two weeks that he's gone, the house is mine and it's just beautiful. And then he comes home and messes it all up again. So I said, well, Stephanie, let me ask you a couple questions. Um, Do you have a dog? And she said, yes. I said, does your dog shed? She said, yes. What do you do when your dog sheds? She said, oh, well, I vacuum up after him. And I said, oh, I see. And Stephanie, do you love your dog? And she got really quiet. And then she said, oh, my God, Garth sheds. And she realized, just like the dog can't help that he sheds, neither can Garth do anything about his messiness. (laughs) So I thought, well, that's a really good realization, but is it going to last? A year later, I called her up and I said, hey, Stephanie, I'm just checking in. How's life with Garth? And she said, it's never been better. She said, in fact, it's so good that he quit his job and he started a new business working from home so we can always be together. And I said, well, does he still shed? (laughs) And she said, yes, he's as messy as ever. But now I just laugh about it. And I realize that that's just who he is. And his messiness is not a reason not to love him. So so really the point of this is, is we're constantly judging other people and making them wrong for things that are just in their nature, as opposed to making up a whole new, more empowering story about what they're doing, right? You know, we were raised different ways. You know, he has a very big bandwidth for messy, as do I. I'm quite the slob myself, married to somebody who likes things neat and orderly. (laughs) But he decided long ago that since I'm a slob, He's just going to clean up after me, right? And, you know, and he does stuff I don't like. Like he likes to have every TV in the house on all the time really loud. And I can't stand loud noises. So, you know, I just walk around the house turning off the TVs or at least turning the volume down. You know, there's no sense fighting over something that isn't going to change. Yeah, yeah. But, but you can make up an empowering story and have some fun with it. It's funny because you're saying I'm talking about the uh, just those differences. I mean, there was research at the University of Washington that showed that every couple has a minimum, an absolute minimum of nine irreconcilable differences. And yes. these, these are things which are never, ever, they're ever, ever, ever going to agree on. And so right. like. But we live life as if we should get along 24 seven, not yeah. understanding that it's normal to have differences with people. And the point of it is, is to learn how to be loving anyway, and to come up with creative solutions. Just, you know, like one simple example, in every couple, generally you have somebody who's a spender and a saver, Mm. totally opposing views about money. You know, now that's not probably going to change. But what you can learn how to do is love and respect the other person's point of view, and come up with some ways to negotiate how the money is being used and spent. So there's an understanding there. Like, for instance, I grew up with a lot of poverty consciousness. 
I'm a hoarder when it comes to money, you know. And then I married a guy who grew up in a very wealthy home who loves to spend money. And suddenly we have this our money and I'm going crazy at how he's spending it. And just saying to him, no, I don't want to do it that way wasn't going to work. What I had to do is explain to him, here's why. I have this poverty consciousness and I'm working really hard to overcome it. You know, I grew up in a family where money was a, an issue for fights every day. My grandmother constantly told me stories about the depression and not having enough. And I grew up in a really fear-based thing. So I decided that when it was time for me to make my own money, I would make it, but I'd keep it, you know. And then I had him explain to me, why do you like to be so generous with your money? And he was explaining how much joy it gives him and that when you spend money, more money comes to you. So we just had to understand our different points of view and then come up with some parameters. You know, like we agreed that we weren't going to micromanage each other's spending. But certainly if we were going to each spend a large amount of money, we'd consult on it first. Yeah. Right. So, and it, it became a point where it's not a problem. I trust him with money. He trusts me with money. I taught him how to shop sales. He had never shopped a sale in his life. He's taught me, you know, how to appreciate designer goods and why it's worth investing in something that's going to last 20 years. So we turned it into a good thing, but initially it was very hard. So the issue with, the, with these, like these nine or like at least nine plus differences, like I think what the problems arise when, when there are these, the, there are these issues in a relationship and people think, oh, there must be something wrong with the relationship and think, you know, that's worth throwing away because of the differences as opposed to just realizing, hey, this is normal. Is that right. doing that by, by realizing it's normal that maybe takes a lot of pressure off people being like, oh, okay, phew, we're all, we're, this is normal for everyone. Right. Well, we, we were all brainwashed with this, you know, you meet your soulmate, you fall in love, you get married and then you live happily ever after. Mm. And that's really not exactly the point of a soulmate relationship. Yes, you meet... You fall in love. When you fall in love, your brain emits all these amazing feel-good hormones like adrenaline and dopamine and oxytocin, and you are literally crazy in love, or what I like to call the socially acceptable form of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> but it only lasts for like 6 to 18 months. It's nature's trick to get us together to procreate and keep making more humans. But then you have to learn how to get along. And that's the stuff they never bothered to teach us in school. So the real purpose of a soulmate relationship is to be a point of healing so that you're with somebody who is your best friend, your lover, your partner for life, your safe place to land. And all your childhood issues, your childhood wounds can come up for healing. But you don't have to do it alone. You have this partner in life to do your healing with and that's really the point of a true committed marriage that somehow didn't get communicated to us yeah and you think that not only do we all have a soulmate out there somewhere but we actually probably have i think hundreds of thousands of possibilities we do and <laughs> really you know with every relationship you learn more about yourself about what's you know the the values that are important to you and you also get to learn that you know Certain people come into your life just for a short amount of time, and it may feel like a soulmate relationship, and if they disappear, it doesn't mean that it wasn't a soulmate relationship. It means they weren't your life partner. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing that tends to happen is, you know, if we dump somebody or if we're dumped, but we still love them, we keep trying to not love them. 
which is impossible to do. It's absolutely okay to still love somebody from your past. What's not okay is to obsess about them, you know, or try to use black magic to get them back. You know, like why would you want somebody who doesn't want you? You know, you, you want to go through the grieving process, cut the cords, let them go, wish them well, and then welcome in somebody who is not only your soulmate, but an ideal life partner for you, somebody with whom you're going to share connection, compatibility, chemistry, and most importantly, a shared vision for the future. Yeah, one of your least favorite myths is this idea that a soulmate relationship is supposed to last forever. I mean, this is not the case, is it? Not always. Not always. Yeah, I mean, it may be you meet somebody, you spend 20 years with them, you have three kids, the kids grow up, and then you head off in different directions. And all it means is that that relationship had an expiration date. Mm. Doesn't mean they weren't your soulmate, doesn't mean they were bad or wrong. You know, there's just somebody else out there for you. What I would say, though, is don't be so quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, just because things are difficult now doesn't mean you can't repair the relationship. So you have to be willing to, you know, take some baby steps and see if you can reignite things. Yeah. And you've also, um, this is one where I had to, I had to listen to this bit twice. Cause I was like, if you believe you're with say a soulmate, but the relationship has gone stale, say, you know, communication's crap, sex is rubbish. You recommend doing an activity, which is quite interesting <laughs> to trick yes. your brain into thinking it's in a life threatening situation. Yes. You've got to, you've got to explain yes. that. <laughs> well, as I mentioned earlier, when you're in love with somebody, your brain is cascading with dopamine and adrenaline and oxytocin and other things I can't pronounce. And those still, those feelings are still in your brain and those chemicals are still in your brain. And one fast way to sort of let them loose is that you and your partner choose an activity that you both perceive as life-threatening. So that could be jumping out of an airplane, bungee jumping, whitewater river rafting, going on a big roller coaster, watching a super scary movie. But both of you have to feel scared. And when you have that shared adrenaline rush, those chemicals get released, and it's very, very bonding. So I suggest that on your way back from the bungee jump, you know, check into a motel and just have a rocking good time. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by living as if? Oh, okay. So the law of attraction states that we draw to us the people, places, and experiences that match our state of being. So if you're in a state of being that, oh, I am wonderful and adorable and lovable and surrounded by love, that's pretty much what your experience of life is going to be. And if you're in the state of, oh, I'm such a loser at love and I'm unlucky in love and, you know, it's never going to happen for me, all you're going to get to be is right over and over again. So when you're living as if, you're choosing to sort of fake it till you make it, you know, choose to believe how much, how lovable you are, you know, start to make lists of all the people in your life that already love you, have your attention focused on love. Know and trust that love is coming your way. And then when you're living as if, your behavior will match your beliefs. So, for example, when I was working on manifesting my soulmate, I didn't know his name. I didn't know where he lived. But I spoke to him every day in my mind. I would take time to talk to him. And then every time I would go past uh, a card shop, I would buy him 
greeting cards. I love you just because cards, happy birthday, happy anniversary, Valentine's Day, anniversary cards. And I would keep them all in a box knowing that someday I would give him these cards. Um, when I was invited to a formal event with those little RSVP cards, I'd always RSVP plus one, which of course was confusing for my friends. Oh, I didn't know you were seeing anybody. What's his name? Who are you bringing to my wedding? And I would have to explain to them, I don't know his name yet either, but I am coming with a date. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I mean by living as if. You're stepping into that place and you're just yeah, yes. you're there. Yeah. What, what does a fulfilled life mean to you? You know, um, it's where everything is just all linked up. You know, mind, body, spirit are all sort of humming along in the same direction. You know, um, got a great relationship, fulfilling work, lots of loving friends and family, a house full of cats. <laughs> I only have two at the moment. I'd like to have more, but my husband says no. Um, you know, uh, great books to read, delicious food to eat, you know, beautiful things to see and do, you know, just life is good. And what is one thing all our listeners can do today that have a massive positive effect on their lives? Have some pleasure. You know, I, I put pleasure on the top of my to-do list every day. And when I say pleasure, I don't mean a habit that you're doing already every day, like working out or meditating or whatever, like pick one thing every day that can really fill your soul. So for me, it might be something like, well, yesterday I went and got a half hour foot rub, you know, I just sat there and paid this woman to rub my feet because it feels so good. Um, if I don't have a lot of time, I might turn on my playlist and listen to Andrea Bocelli sing the prayer or I may just, uh, I'm really into coloring these days. <laughs> <laughs> I have coloring books and crayons all over the house. I might just do some coloring. Or um, the other day I saw this new video on YouTube. So I just got out of my chair and danced around my office for 10 minutes. Uh, or I'll take an aromatherapy bubble bath. But add pleasure. I believe in being a pleasure pig. You know, add pleasure to your life every day because you know, most of us are pretty stressed out most of the time. We've got a lot of pressure, you know, there's deadlines, there's money, there's, you know, aging parents, sick pets, crazy kids, you know, big cities, just living in a big city can be stressful. Mm -hmm. So I think adding pleasure, deliberately adding daily pleasure is a must have. Now, some people go a little too far. I remember the first time I taught this, I had, I had a group of 44 women in Bali, and at midnight I found them in the restaurant having hot fudge sundaes, and they were so proud of themselves. Oh, we're being pleasure pigs. It's like, no, I didn't ask you to get fat as a pig. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can do that once a month, but do not be eating ice cream every day, even though food can be really pleasurable and should be pleasurable. Uh, this is not permission to gorge. I was going to say pleasure pig. Like the podcast is called Spirit Pig. So yeah, I was going to say we're 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 all for that. Okay, so you, so you and I need to join forces. We'll be the Pleasure Pig Brigade. <laughs> Last but not least, how can people stay in touch? Find out more about you and your work. Oh, that's really easy. My website is soulmatesecret.com, soulmatesecret.com. And if you want some free chapters to my newest book, uh, Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, just go to that site and you can download them. And I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash soulmatesecret. 
Thank you so much for speaking to me today. I'm going to be yeah, taking notes and <laughs> well, acting as if. Go, before you go, Duncan, how do you have pleasure? How do I have pleasure? Um, uh, I, I, love, I love walking, being out in nature. I love, I love reading. Um, I love like, reading every day, if, if possible. We're trying to just at least half an hour every single day of just like a, a book which completely just takes my mind somewhere. So as in, I read quite a lot of um, nonfiction, but from just great authors where it's just like ideas which completely just blow my mind. I, I have a book for you. There's okay. a, book, a book called Originals. Adam Grant. Adam Grant, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. The, he's the give and take guy, isn't he? Um, yeah, and it's it's one of the best books I've read this year about stuff that you didn't know that you didn't know that's going to completely blow your mind. It's okay, brilliant. perfect. That is that's gone top top of my reading list. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, and let's um, yeah, welcome. let's stay in touch, and we'll have to do okay. this again sometime. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.